A quick word before we start. This episode of 76 West contains profanity. Profane language is spoken in the following episode. If there are young listeners anywhere in proximity to this podcast, kindly ask them to leave the room. If you enjoy the conversations in this podcast and want to help us continue to provide great content for the community, please consider supporting our work by becoming a friend of the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the JCC. As a friend, you'll receive insider access to artists and VIP events, special passes to arts programs, and unique gifts from the JCC. To learn more, please visit jccmanhattan.org slash friends hyphen AI. Welcome to 76 West, a podcast of the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan, featuring talks from the JCC's Conversation Series, a marquee program of the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas. This podcast was brought to you by Zabars and Zabars.com. This week, we're listening to a discussion between two-time Emmy and Grammy Award-winning comedian Kathy Griffin with civil rights attorney Geta Kurland. If you've never seen or heard Kathy Griffin before, well, strap yourself in. She's a true original who breaks through entertainment clutter with pull-no-punches comedy. Griffin has performed for hundreds of thousands of fans around the globe, giving legendary stand-up performances in a class of their own. She's played such iconic venues as the Sydney Opera House, Mark Taper Forum, Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall, and the Kennedy Center. In 2014, Griffin made history with her sixth consecutive Grammy nomination and first win, joining Whoopi Goldberg and Lily Tomlin as the only other female comedians to ever win Grammy Awards for Best Comedy Album. This conversation was recorded in front of a live audience on August 14th, 2019, and produced by Out of the J, the JCC's expansive and encompassing program for the LGBTQ community. Give it up for Yetta. She's the hey brains of the operation. <laughs> she knows all kinds of answers. I love this. It's like we're like a, like we have a Casio. I know. I have love a it. band going. <laughs> we'll do whatever it takes. I'll do the tambourine. <laughs> There's always a tambourine. <laughs> I mentioned Stevie Nicks in my movie. Anyone who saw my movie, oh, that was fucking pitiful. That was such a bullshit. I meant to order it. Anyway, I do, I do tell a, hum- a humorous story about Stevie Nicks because when I was making this movie, I was like, I got to put some funny shit. Otherwise, it's just going to be a big bummer. But it's a riot. <laughs> it was a great movie. You watched it. I did I'm so watch flattered. it. Has anyone here seen it? What? How no, about the show of hands? It just came out last week, and I think it's... Uh... It's Oh, get this shit. Okay, when I say this movie is independent, I'm talking independent. Like the documentary part, which I had to fight like a dog for, <laughs> because I made a comedy special, which nobody wanted to even look at a 30-second sizzle reel or anything, even though I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for having written and produced more televised stand-up comedy specials Woo! than any comedian, oh, yeah. male or female, living or dead. <laughs> Um, nobody would look at it because I'm, you know, you guys know I'm an ISIS, right? Yeah. <laughs> really high ranking member of ISIS. Um, you want to hear my joke? It took me a year to be able to say this. When people mm. to this day come up to me and go, go back, you're an ISIS. I go, I worked in the gift shop for a week. Get over it. <laughs> One week in the gift shop and the hours were too long. Um, took me a long way to get to that joke. 
Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm excited. I hope you like a hell of a story because I fought like a dog to get the documentary part put in, which honestly was just filmed on phones with my boyfriend, Randy, who I live in sin with. Um, I'm a big believer in sin, big, big sinner. Um, and he's also my tour manager. And so um, we got to make the docu-comedy. And um, it's number one in docs on iTunes, number five in comedy, and number 29 in all the movies on iTunes. So that is a miracle. Miracle. It's, it's also, from a civil rights perspective, I think it's just a really important film to see because it threads the needle of kind of creative expression and what's happening in the political climate in this world. So We are losing our civil rights minute we, by minute. I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. All right, so she doesn't know this, but I'm like interviewing her. <laughs> Sorry, flick the switch. All right, um, so what do you think uh, what do you think is the most glaring civil right that we've all taken for granted that the LGBT community is in danger of losing? Wow. And let's say like the last year. Because yeah. by the way, you guys know, you're next. Okay? Like in the history of any authoritarian government, kleptocracy, whatever you want to call it, you're next. So they've gone for the brown people and gays are next. So I'm here to say with humor, be fucking vigilant. Be yeah. vigilant. Yeah. So of the civil rights that we maybe, I don't want to say had taken for granted, what are the ones that are on your radar? Like, oh no, we can't lose this one. You absolutely are flipping it around because I was exactly going to ask you this question. But um, I actually think it kind of happens in this really insidious way. So we see like um, this kind of backlash of transgender uh, uh members of service, or we yeah. see like a kind of discussion about whether or not marriage equality is gonna be uh, uh, reversed. Um, I don't know when or where or how, and I think the, the issue that infects all of us is something that you dealt with firsthand, which is this kind of selective enforcement of power. Yeah. And I think the question I was gonna ask you is, um, you know, government, we, we, I think we have this expectation, especially of those of us with privilege that government and law enforcement is here to protect us right or at least if you go through all the right steps and you think you're doing everything that you've gotten good advice to do then eventually even in time you'll get something resembling justice right well that was not my case <laughs> and i'm here to explain the sort of details about that part as much as you guys are interested in hearing and again, just I I did not realize until I watched your movie just how intense that was. Yeah, they went they went hard for me. They and and, and are and are still going hard for you. And are still, you. yeah. And I think I don't think that people understand, you know, I've been an attorney for over 20 years. I've represented elected officials. The power of the presidency of the United States, mm -hmm. the United States Department of Justice, the FBI, these are incredibly powerful forces. What was it like to be one person on the other end of that? Well, it was also um, bizarre, and I, I really acknowledge all the mistakes and fuck-ups I'd made, and I want to tell them you know, <laughs> to you because I'm just a big believer in shining a light on things. And if nothing else, I've come out of this believing even more than I ever have, you have to shine a light on the uncomfortable things. And you guys know that if you're LGBT members, um, as a 58-year-old woman, I'm guess what? I'm marginalized now too, because in my industry, they want to kick you out the door at 40 if you're lucky. And so um, you, know, you learn to become maybe a little bit more of a fighter 
as you get older or if you've had certain experiences. So one thing I thought was fascinating is when this was all going down, it happened in a way that was so quick and bizarre that, you you know, I took the photo. It was with, you know, Halloween mask. You guys probably know that part. But um, <laughs> out of all the people who allegedly threatened Trump and who I called the accidental president, because it's an accident. He's not supposed to be the president. He cheated with the fucking GRU. The GRU. Not like random Russian citizens who are probably right. harmless. The freaking GRU, right. the Russian CIA. Right. All right, I digress. Anyway, so... Oh, I've learned all this shit. So anyway, um, you know, I... I found out, um, as I suspected, and I, I did research, I called as many lawyers as I could, especially First Amendment attorneys, and um, I even called Jane Fonda, hello, because we've all seen the picture of Fonda like this, right? And um, she said, I actually didn't have the feds on me. She said, that was local PD. Hmm. And the same with the great Lenny Bruce. So I am actually the first private citizen, much less 58-year-old female comedian, to have been... Um, put under an open investigation without any kind of a call or warning or um, from what I what I've learned in this process is typically if the Secret Service thinks you've made a fairly credible threat, they'll at least call you and kind of like sound you out. So in my case, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Secret Service of, uh, Secret Service Department opened an open-ended investigation on me. And the FBI did not. So I want to be really clear. I'm not anti-government at all. In fact, I actually credit the FBI for saving my life. Mm. They came over the mm. day after. I am not anti-FBI at all. Um, they actually, to this day, they help me sort out my death threats where there's like a pile that is credible and they have to put them in a Ziploc bag and then I give it to them. Then there's a pile where we sort of discuss what's credible and what isn't. And then there's a pile for my act. Because um, <laughs> some of them, honestly, they're so over the top. that I'm, You got to laugh. I mean, ISIS lady be bad. Come on. Um, and so... Uh, so I want, I want people to know the government is not a monolith. Yeah. And uh, certainly in my lifetime, I remember watching the Watergate hearings as a little girl. And, you know, we had three networks then and thinking, oh, my gosh, this could never happen again in my lifetime. Well, here we are. So um, when I found out that I was the first person in history to um, that this happened to, I thought, okay, well, now, whether you like me or the picture, it's not about that. Right. It's about I was the test case and you could be next. So, you know, we now have, and I'm going to use the words, concentration camps, because I think you got to use the words. And sorry, but people are afraid to say that Trump lies. They like to say he plays with the truth. He lies. Mm -hmm. And we have creed, uh, screeds, because people don't want to say manifesto, right, for yeah. the mass shooters. Yep. So I think that's interesting, that it's not a manifesto, it's a screed. Even the word manifesto gives it too much credit. Um, you know, when, when you're writing a screed and you're calling out Trump by name, in my opinion, he's responsible and liable. So even that's never happened, you know, in my lifetime. And when it has, prison, uh, you know, as, as one of the retired Secret Service folks I talked to when the investigation was sort of just getting started, um, he said, look, prisons are filled with people that the Secret Service knows well are genuine threats to the president. And he goes, you are not one of them. And I said, no, I can't stand him but I don't want to kill him. Right. And uh, I also have known the Donald. If there's any New Yorkers here that know him, he likes to go by the Donald. He's always been like that. <laughs> and I always go, that's the weird. But I didn't know he liked that. I oh, know he other, loves oh. being called the Donald. Good to know. And when I make fun of him, it goes right <laughs> over his nest. Um, 
He's not an academic. Um, he totally, by the way, I think Aunt Becky got him into Wharton. Like every time I hear him <laughs> bragging about Wharton, I want to call Aunt Becky and go, how much? All right, so <laughs> retroactively, I'm sure. So, you know, so once I, I found out that it was, in fact, if nothing else, historic, then I thought, all right, I got to get out there and, and tell the story. So that's one of the reasons that I actually really like doing stuff like this is I want you guys to know how important it is to know your rights. So in my case... Um, they didn't give me any kind of a call or my lawyers or anything. They just opened an investigation and immediately put me on the no-fly list. Right. So that was also unprecedented. How did you find out? My lawyer told me because the U.S. Attorney's Office proudly called him and told him, <laughs> and uh, the Secret Service as well. And, um, you know, I travel for a living. So I don't think that was a mistake. I right. think that the, I think Donald Trump personally cooked this up with Jeff Sessions. That's my humble opinion which is covered by the First Amendment. And uh, as I like to say, while well, we still have it. Yeah. Enjoy it while we still have it. I give it a week. I give it a week. Um, and so <laughs> it, it is important to know that stuff. And um, don't assume if you read something on Twitter or Facebook, because they're not news, that it's true. Yeah. And so, for example, after the Muslim ban, many amazing attorneys, if you remember, they all went to JFK. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand why they couldn't get in. So, like, for example, the concentration camps, they're privately owned. They're owned by the DeVosses and the princes. So even the electeds can't get in. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, Cory Booker is going to JFK. He's a United States senator or, you know, Amy Klobuchar or something. And they can't get past TSA any more than anybody else. Now, I actually like mm. to ask you that question. What was that moment like if you're an elected and you're there going, hey, I hear there's some folks that are probably illegally being held on the yeah. other side, who who gets to get through and talk to them and yeah. tell them their rights and stuff? Well, like you said, it's a little attenuated these days. Um, I actually, on November of 2016, when Trump was elected, was doing voter protection in Florida. So I wasn't even in a blue state. It was I woke up in a comatose state with an empty box of pizza watching CNN. It was horrible. Wait, you can't go to Florida. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was... It was um, Look, remember, remember Thelma Louise that kept driving around Texas? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Careful. Sorry, I love Florida. Uh, some of my best Republicans are from Florida. No. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really thought that the judicial branch of government would be the checks and balances. I thought we were the ones. Oh, member. Yeah. Remember the innocent. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And then, you know, just the Supreme Court and all. Like, Trump oh, my is, God. The Supreme know. Court. Remember them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ironically, the attorney that I ended up using when I had to go through the federal investigation, <laughs> I got Lisa Bloom. But there's this horrible attorney named Lisa Bloom. And yeah, she sucks. She's a fake feminist, ladies, beware. Uh, and she charged me $40,000. And she had me do a press conference, which I've never done and I shouldn't have done. And I was like under her banner and she didn't do shit. And she wanted to do like a, a press tour with me and she couldn't get booked unless I went. And I was like sobbing and it was just a shit fest. So my actual First Amendment attorney had been at a funeral, had his phone off. So he calls me the next day. But my actual First Amendment attorney is a guy named Alan Isaacman. And he won the landmark Supreme Court case. Larry Flint. Thank you. Yeah, I was testing you. See? Oh, yeah. Jerry Falwell versus Hustler magazine. So he's the guy that Ed Norton plays in the movie, The People versus Larry Flint. And the reason I acknowledge that is when you're in this much trouble, you want that fucking oh, guy. Yeah. You want oh, someone yeah. who won a Supreme Court case unanimously. Yeah. Like, think of what Antonin Scalia became. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he even he sided on the case of Hustler magazine yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So the kids got to know about the SCOTUS. Yeah. The kids, kids get interested in the SCOTUS. My dad used to make us learn um, for the dinner table. You had to name the members of the Supreme Court in the order That's in which awesome. they were appointed and That's which president awesome. appointed them. And he worked in retail. She's an honorary attorney at our law firm. He worked in retail. I'm serious. And my mom worked. My mom was like a, a part-time working mom of five kids. And that was just the household we... That's awesome. I'm from Chicago. You had to read the Trib and the Times and Mike Royko. And you had to come to the dinner table knowing your shit. And that's when I was five. And you talked about your siblings also being in public service. And yeah, the of I, that. I wanted to talk about this because I really admire you doing this work. And I hope I hope you guys are inspired by her and want to get into this kind of work in the law because, man, we need lawyers. And um, especially, you know, probably the immigration situation is maybe the most dire, mm. although it's hard to pick these days. But um, my brother worked for the Attorney General's Office of Illinois, and he could have gone into the private sector anytime. But, you know, it was considered honorable to have a government job and you got benefits and that's why he kept the job. He never got rich, but he had a good steady job and he worked there for decades. And my sister was a public school teacher in a union for decades yeah, yeah. and she always taught in the hood and she was 24 and she'd drive her, you know, beetle and she literally did it for decades. And it makes me sad that we pay teachers 28 grand a year. Yeah. And I was actually a teacher's aide for a while and the teacher I had couldn't even spell, like it was really weird. Um, but <laughs> we, we should honor those jobs. And I'm, I'm not like a giant fan of the cops, like I'm not a super cop lover, but I will say I've always had a theory if you pay cops 100 grand a year, you're going to get fucking Harvard grads. Yeah. And you're not going to get guys that were like, that have anger issues and yeah. just shoot black people for driving down the street. Yeah. That's my theory. And I say that because I had a dirty uncle cop in Chicago. He was a bag man. You know what that means? It's so gross. So, by the way, my family has revised this history. So, <laughs> they're all, there's, most of them are dead, so I can say it. But um, can't defame the dead. Can't defame the dead. She's of counsel to the Curlin group. You guys didn't know that. <laughs> She offered me a partnership. I'm very excited. It's, turned, I, I don't have any work. Down. I'm out of work. Um, but yeah, my uncle was what's called a bag man. And he was a Chicago cop. And he was dirty mm. as sin and mm. racist as fuck. And what he would do is his job was, instead of policing, he would go and shake down like the local guy that owned, you guys call them bodegas. We call them like mini marts in Chicago. But like he would go and shake them down and say, if you don't give you know, the Chicago Police Department this much money in a bag every week, we're going to close down your business. So, you know, the reason I talk about that is people need to know, like, that was my uncle. And he, everyone in the family knew about it. And I had a cousin who was a pedophile priest. And mm. they, those were the days when they literally just moved you parish to parish. And I'm from an Irish Catholic family. And it was all about secrets and lies. And I'm not. And so one thing I just want to say is I really do believe in saying these things out loud. Maybe you practice with one friend or whatever, but, you know, my brother went to prison. Um, oh, although my mother, who unfortunately has dementia now, so I'm very so sad. I can't, I know, I know, it sucks. But when, before she did, um, even then, she would have some box of wine, and then she would say that when my brother was in prison, he was in rehab. <laughs> rehab. Like, you know. A celebrity. No, Vacaville is a federal prison. Um, so anyway, I, I just I just wanted to throw out some shockers just to let you know. I think it's important that we enter an age of pulling behind the curtain and calling the wizard out. And I think it's ob obviously not to um, 
you know, say it's okay for a police officer to be corrupt, that is not okay. But what about when that corruption enters the highest levels of government and how yeah. does that impact our our community and what is that message? You know, one of the things we talked about before the show was um, Trump's message and the way that he kind of acts as a bully. Do you see that having an impact on others? Um, you talk about ways that you've gotten death threats and a lot of very hateful responses yeah. to what happened. And um, still do. Like, so one of the things do. that I, I don't mean to whine, but I also want to make it clear, this whole situation isn't done for me at, like, at all. So I don't, I'm, I don't know the computer world that well. I'm 58. But um, I do know that I'm on uh, algorithms. And if any of you guys post, like, saw at Kathy Griffin and she was funny or anything like that, I have to apologize. You will get three days of bots. Mm. And they will, they will say, like, you know, um, ISIS lady should shut up or we're going to shoot her, you know, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And they're, they're not people, um, or they could be Roseanne. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> you guys, you guys, <laughs> Roseanne's a Nazi. I, I don't I, I don't know other way. <laughs> Roseanne's a Nazi. Is she off her meds? I hope she's off her meds. Are there Nazi meds? All right. So. No, Roseanne did an interview where she said, Kathy Griffin is ugly inside and out. And Roseanne actually mm. gave me one of my breaks. Like back in the day, she had a show called Saturday Night Special. And I think it only went like six or eight episodes. But, you know, I, I haven't seen her for years, but I have to question mm. how much Trumpism uh, permeates the citizenry, meaning whether you're Roseanne, who openly talked about having mental Ill illness issues, um, or you're someone that didn't know you had that inside yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but I think that I'm probably not the only one who has seen behavior in those around us, whether it's in the workplace or at a, a relative gathering or something where you have to, you're kind of, conf it always blows me away, right? Like I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I can't really spend time with Trumpers anymore. Like I just can't, I can't, I can't because it's, they've gone so far and the idea that they think, I actually am a card-carrying member of ISIS yeah. and that I'm decapitating people or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't even know how to have, like, the cordial conversation, you know? And so it's sort of, in my opinion, it's, it's a way at the highest levels of government where they take so many topics off the table that that's one of the ways I think they divide us. Because prior to Trump, we all had relatives where they had a certain leaning or you know, they were, if they were maybe hyper-religious and I'm not a particularly religious person or if they had, you know, um, a gripe about something that I maybe didn't agree with and you kind of dance around it and stuff. But I think they're really creating an environment where there's no dancing around it. And yeah. I have found in my experience, it's usually the lefties and I'm a, a proud lefty. We're sort of, I, I feel like we're kind of happy to just leave it off the table. Mm -hmm. Like I'm happy to go to a dinner party and, you know, if somebody's not wearing a MAGA hat, then I'm I'm gonna kind of hear it out and stuff. But I, I have found in my experience, well, and also people know me for this photo more than anything, which I understand, it'll be on my tombstone, but um, people really <laughs> go out of their way to come up to me mm. and call me names and are brazen in a way that it has probably happened to some of you. And social media is a cesspool. And the idea that Dorsey, you know, who I think is a, literally a criminal, and same with Sandberg and Zuckerberg and the YouTube fucks. Like, I didn't even know there were Nazi channels until I was on them. Mm. And so I had to educate myself about that whole world. 
It's you bring up a really um, interesting point around First Amendment expression, which the terrifying thing and what you're talking about is what Kathy experiences that we don't necessarily see, which is like a ton of bots who are attacking you yeah. or these kind of very aggressive. Well, also Fox News. I mean, Hannity like writes a blog about me like every three days. I always send him that one Mariah Carey gif where she goes, you're obsessed with me. <laughs> as if he gets it but I think so, hopefully he has like a gay intern somewhere who's like love her anyway a girl can dream a girl can dream but I feel like um, we they have weaponized the first amendment oh, in a way that they've co-opted it yeah they've and we have to figure it. out like what do we do about that yeah it, it's really important that um you know the First Amendment back and forth. I sell T-shirts of it on my website, and I make tens of dollars a year. But <laughs> believe it or not, I have a constitution in my purse right now. And you know the one like uh, Kazir Khan had, and he took it out famously at the convention? I was like, I need five of those. And so I, I walk around with the constitution, because I never know what somebody's going to say to mm. me. And I really do think it's good to have a T-shirt with the First Amendment on it, because it isn't just freedom of speech. It's freedom of assembly, et cetera. And... Um, you know, for example, there were, you probably know this, there were more arrests at the Trump inauguration than any inauguration in history by protesters, people, people you know, um, practicing civil disobedience, which is something that I'm fearful of because as we watch the, um, I don't want to use the riots, but what's happening in Hong Kong is, mm -hmm. you know, Resistance. that could be us in a week. And that's civil disobedience. That's all that is. So when you watch certainly the genesis of when those, um, I'm going to say marches and then turned into outbreaks started, that like I said, that could be us in a yeah. week. And yeah. that's one of the things that I think um, maybe some of you guys can relate to this. I didn't think it could go down so fast. Like what Trump did, I remember Michael Moore being on um, Chris Hayes one night and he was sort of making a half joke and he goes, you got to realize when Trump gets in, it's going to be like a Marx Brothers movie. He's just going to be writing executive order after executive order. And he really did. Yeah. Not that he knew what he was signing or can spell. <laughs> and then Mike Pence would have to go and right. you know, leave the bathhouse and go pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> I kid. I tease. I tease Miss Pence. All right. So, um, so yes, I, I, I feel, I feel the, the change in environment. And so in addition to um, having to go through all the legal stuff of, you know, I was, I was actually put under investigation um, and the Secret Service was investigating me, but the idea that the U.S. Attorney's Office was standing by waiting to file charges, if they found just enough Ooh. evidence to charge me with conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States, which holds a lifetime sentence. And I was interrogated under oath. So um, I talk about it in the movie First, they tried to get me to go to the downtown uh, Los Angeles jail in a jumpsuit and cups, cuffs. And my very good attorney, Alan Isaacman, he had to negotiate with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Mm -hmm. And that took two months and a lot of freaking money. So women and gays, save your money. Save your money. Talk about it. Don't be shy. Save it for a rainy day because I had a monsoon. And it was such a bizarre thing, you yeah. know, when he would say, well, they're just messing with you. And I'd be like, messing with me? Yeah. I go, did I do anything wrong? No. And I'm, go, I'm, and I'm in a jumpsuit and cuffs. And he kept saying, yeah, they want the video. Like Whitey Bulger. Remember the perp walk with yeah. Whitey Bulger? And um, I didn't kill anybody. So um, 
you know, that was so extreme that knowing that it came from Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, <laughs> oh my Lord, somebody get her a mint julep. Now, first of all, can I be honest? When I saw him Please. at the first rally, I thought he was dead. I did. I remember Jeff Sessions from when I was a kid and my relatives would make fun of him then in the fucking 70s. And then I see him at a rally. I'm like, Mom, Jeff Sessions is alive. And um, then she turned on Bill O'Reilly. Um, but uh, I know, I know. But, um, you know, it's that's how far deep they have to go. I mean, yeah. that's if you remember, he was the first elected to sign on and support Trump. I mean, that's how low Trump yeah. had to go. Jeff yeah. fucking Sessions. So, Terrifying. Yeah. 76 West is brought to you by Zabars and Zabars.com. In 1934, Lewis and Lillian Zabar opened a shop along Broadway at 80th Street on New York's Upper West Side. Lewis was a stickler for quality, roasting his own coffee and personally visiting smokehouses to sample and inspect fish, rejecting far more than he accepted. Today, Lewis's principles and practices continue to guide Zabars. Respect the customer. Never, ever stint on quality. Offer fair value. And last but not least, keep searching for the new and wonderful. Be sure to visit Zabar's store on 80th and Broadway or visit zabars.com for mouth-watering specialties like bagels, babka, rugelach, smoked fish, and of course, world-famous caviar. Zabar's ships to all 48 contiguous United States plus Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. So there's no reason your friends can't enjoy the fresh, homemade taste of Zabar's any day of the week. And and when did you, I mean, I can't imagine, I think there's a disconnect where you're like, wait, this can't be happening. There's this sense of justice that we all have in our hearts. Our mm -hmm. government is there, as, as I was saying before, is there to protect us and and justice ultimately prevails yeah. and good things, you know, will, stuff will get figured out. So you're going through this and justice is not prevailing and common sense is not prevailing. At what and I can't get on an airplane and, and I can't work. And you can't and work. And I'm unemployable and I'm uninsurable, which, is, which has continued to this day. And you're getting hate mail and... Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't just get hate mail. I mean, the day that we filmed the concert portion of the film, no joke, the FBI, two agents woke me up. They did a no-knock. And, you know, no-knock means imminent threat. And so they came over and they read a letter. I think it's called A Duty to Warn. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, I'll never forget, one of the agents was shaking. That's I'll just never nuts. forget that look on that paper. And they were there to tell me that Cesar Sayak, the MAGA bomber who sent the bombs to Hillary Clinton and George Soros and De Niro, and they had already called me three weeks prior to tell me I was on his kill list. Right. And so when they came over... They started talking about him. And I said, yes, I know, you, you told me. And they said, well, Miss Griffin, while we've been interrogating him in Miami, he revealed that he shared the kill list with like-minded people. And I said, okay, well, I have a performance tonight. Is that, is that going to come up? And they said, we can't talk about an you know, open investigation, et cetera. And then I said, well, do you have any advice? And they said, be vigilant, which I just, I don't know why that cracks me up. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> you too. Love you. No, but I mean, I get it. They can't talk about it. But they did say, is there any way you can open your mailbox from 10 feet away? Oh, wow. And I said, I guess if I, I got that thing from SC9 TV where the old lady has the grabber, and then maybe Randy could like MacGyver it and I could put two together 
And then that's how I opened my mail for the rest of my life. And now every time I get the mail, I have this little like private joke with myself where I just go kaboom and I open it. I'm like, you know, so it, it just, yeah, mm. it got fucking crazy. And there's things that have continued even after um, I was exonerated. And by the way, I really was exonerated. Not like when the president Woo! lies about it. Like I was actually exonerated. Taken off the no-fly list. Um, I was then put on the Interpol list. So I would like <laughs> you to explain what that is because I then, I knew I couldn't play here. I, I, it wasn't safe and I wasn't welcome here. And you know, everyone turned on me left, right, and center. And I was very aware of that. So I thought I could do some shows overseas mm -mm. and chose countries strategically where I knew they hated Trump and ended up, I think, 17 countries in 23 cities or something, which was great. It was difficult work, but it was great. And I, I will say the picture that almost took me down allowed me to play, you know, Singapore and Antwerp and Marcus I would never play. And they didn't have, you know, my life on the D list. And I don't know how they knew me except for the crazy red-haired lady from the picture. Um, but it was great. I got to play great venues and people showed up and got standing ovations because they're so hungry for an American to stand yeah. there and tell them what the fuck is going on. They yeah. can't figure it out with the gerrymandering and the electoral college and all that stuff. So if you wouldn't mind explaining what the Interpol list is. Well, I think it's on an international proportion to the don't fly list. And so you're dealing with now a bigger problem with going across international borders. And yeah. uh, even if you're exonerated in the United States, that doesn't necessarily mean you're exonerated internationally. Um, it's my it's my guess that they personally put something on my passport, which I filed two mm. FOIAs. Go. Freedom of information request. Two that she filed. Where did I, you file them, by the way? In Jason Leopold filed one, and he lives in California. He works okay. for BuzzFeed. Okay. And then um, I think Jeff Fleischman from the LA Times filed one, too. So both in California. Yeah. Okay, so they're probably going to have to make a motion to compel. Well, you know I think they're slow walking it. Absolutely, Because yeah. you know I'm going to fucking post that shit on my Twitter and <laughs> Facebook and Instagram the minute. By the way, if I, if I find out, if I get a FOIA, do I get to publish it? Yes, freedom of information. Here's the basic premise we're all forgetting. It's the government is owned by us, right? It's public. It's we have all to keep public. reminding them. Yeah. Um, so there was something on my passport. And so I was detained at every airport. And that includes LAX. So when I was leaving LAX, and this is the part that this is why I do this and I want you guys to know this. When I was leaving LAX, they stopped me from Homeland Security. They took my phone, my SIM card, detained me, took my passport and walked away. So then that happened at every single airport, except when I was in country. Like it happened in um, Auckland, New Zealand. It happened in Sydney. When I played within Australia, bless you, when I played within Australia, it didn't happen. But then when I went to Singapore, I was detained for six hours. And, you know, I just want to tell you guys, it's not like it sounds like kind of silly or whatever. It's fucking scary yeah. as shit because you're often kind of at the mercy of like the one or two people that are there. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest. I never had the balls to ask what was on my passport because I was afraid. I didn't want to start trouble. So that's just how I handled it. I'm not saying that's the best advice. I don't know. But also, I had shows to get to. So I was like, I don't want to do anything to miss one single show. But it was just became this bizarre thing. And so I had um, a lot of people. I reached out to a lot of people. I cold called a lot of people. I DM'd a lot of people. And I met a lot of retired FBI folks, retired Secret Service, retired CIA. And what I did when I went abroad, the first time I was, well, was when I stopped at LAX, that was crazy because I was leaving. But they can take your phone and SIM card. I just want you to know that. They mm -hmm. can. And they don't, they don't have to give you a reason. They just can. And that's Homeland Security. So um, 
what the advice I got that was very good is an ex uh, CIA officer advised that every time I leave a country, I give two journos in the country I'm leaving because I did a million interviews and you know phone interviews and every podcast in the world and all this stuff and to sell tickets, you know. And so he said, um, give your itinerary to the two journos in the country you're leaving. So like when I was going from New Zealand to Sydney, I gave it to two journalists I had spoken to. Then he said, give it to two journos to your destination, two independent American journos. So I had, bless you, I had somebody from HuffPost and somebody from Daily Beast and uh, your attorneys. And I then gave it to this retired CIA CIA officer because he said, Mm -hmm. if you go missing, you're going to need a team of people that know, hey, she didn't get off the plane. Something's up. And they're going to need to know your story and where you were and where you were going. So that just became habit. I think that's a good strategy, as you want to say, talking to all of us to think about how this could happen to any of us. Stay in the light of day. Stay as public as possible. There's actually a, um, a phrase from one of the FOIA laws, the precedents, that sunshine is the disinfectant that ensures good government. And so I you think know, it's what scares them the most. Yeah, I really do. And I'm not look, I'm not like a doxer. None of that stuff. I'm just saying shining a light on things on on people that behave in a way that is frightening or threatening. Um, I have found, I hate to say it, and and look, we're all going to march and we're all going to canvas and I get it. Um, With this particular administration, I think shaming them is the only thing that works. Um, I, you know, and when I say that there were, there have been sort of continuing fallout, just things that I just, just think wouldn't have happened if it wasn't during, you know, and when I say the Trump administration, I mean from when he went down the elevator, when Melanie had the um, lampshade on, whatever that fucking outfit was. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and by the way, I've known him forever. So it's another reason I think he picked me is he actually hired me one time to roast him. Can you believe that? At Uh, that Fakakta Bedminster that we're all fucking paying for. And uh, yeah, and and he um, hired me to roast him and it was part of a challenge for The Apprentice. And of course I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to fly all the way across the country and all this other stuff. But then I said, well, if I'm if I'm sort of hosting this event, then do you have like an, a main act? Like, if, do you want me to do an hour of stand up or am I just going to do like a 20 minutes? And he said, well, we want you to like open the show and then Liza Minnelli is going to perform. Well, gays. <laughs> I just, being a gay boy, I was not going to leave my Liza alone with the Donald, <laughs> not for a minute. And so that was a whole other day that was cut out of the film because of time. But I spent one day with Liza Minnelli and the Donald. Take it in. And let me just say this, and don't you dare judge. If Liza was on her happy pills, <laughs> then have at it, honey. You deserve it. Bottoms up. Um, but anyway, so even like, for example, like even since, um, everything I sort of thought was settling down, it was really weird. So I've heard a lot of weird, crazy shit since the photo and it's been about two years and two months and some of it I get to talk about in the film and, you know, I just got all kinds of really, I got a lot of bad advice, but I got some good advice too. But also people just, there's something about me that says, come tell me exactly what you feel, um, <laughs> whether it's negative or positive. And so uh, that I, I'm a magnet for that. And um, so anyway, so for example, I, um, I am, you know, a wealthy woman and I talk about money because I have never been given money and my money's never made money. I make money from telling my dick jokes and standing on stage <laughs> or being on television. And, you know, so one of the things that's just sort of you know, ironic about being blacklisted is 
you know, I've probably made about $75 million over my career. And all the people that took 10% won't even talk to me mm-hmm. now. They won't take my call. One of them said, um, Kathy Griffin is a life's too short situation. And I was like, well, you were happy to take that 10% for 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, I don't even have an agent now. And I'm figuring a way to do stuff myself. And that's why I'm so proud of the film. And, you know, fingers crossed. And I wanted to say to you guys, anyone here who's feeling like, there are obstacles that are difficult. Yeah, I'm just going to say it to your face. You probably have to figure it out yourself. There's no magic person that came in to this day. Not one single person has gone on cable news. Not one, you know, I mean, I, you know, you can make fun of Michael Avenatti all you want because it didn't turn out well. But when that was going down, I was thinking, man, I wish mm. I had somebody going on MSNBC every day saying, whether you like Kathy Griffin or not, this shouldn't happen. It's, it's un-American. It's historic. It's unprecedented in a bad way, and you could be next. No one has had the balls to do that to this day. So, <laughs> bitter party of one. Hi. Um, but, you know, there, there are times when, you know, you, you do learn. You're, you're on your own, and then you, you learn, you yeah. know, and you learn stuff. And, for example, I, I, you know, one of the other things that's an ongoing in my opinion, effect of the narrative is, um, well, one thing that was sort of fun that I got to talk about on tour a lot is that um, my neighbors during this whole thing were named Kim Kardashian West and Kanye Kardashian West. You're welcome. (laughs) Oh, you're so jaded. Look at you fuckers. Come on, that's funny. Picture it, me next to Kim and Kanye. You know, so, okay, so ironically, Kim and Kanye are my neighbor on that side. And the neighbor on the other side, this is where I still live. It's, the, it's one of those neighborhoods where they're, they're fancy houses, but the, the shared walls and they're close together. So I'm going to play a tape, a tape for you, which I can play, and it's covered on the First Amendment. And um, this is a civil case that's public record that uh, is ongoing. And this is my neighbor. His name is Jeffrey T. Mesger. He's the CEO and chairman of the board of KB Homes which is a publicly traded building company. They make like cul-de-sac neighborhoods and stuff. And I'm, I'm just, it's my opinion that this probably wouldn't have happened in the pre-Trump era. I don't know. But um, this, I, I, without, without giving you the backstory, because of course we don't want to go where I could get in trouble, but I can do this part. So it's going to sound like this is a bit, and I hope you don't laugh because it's actually, uh, this is, this is, um, th- this is part of the narrative now because he invoked the president's name in the incident. And also, um, I shaved my head. Uh, my sister passed away from cancer during the whole thing. So I shaved my head in solidarity to make her laugh. And she did laugh and stuff. So this happened actually two days after she passed away. And, um, you know, some of us have had neighbor issues. I haven't. Certainly not like this. But this, I'm going to play this for you and just suggest that we're in an era that maybe we wouldn't have been in. Hey, Randy, go fuck yourself. Seriously? You call on my grandkids at 9 o'clock? You're not even the fucking owner. You're stuck with a fucking bald dyke who uh, Donald Trump uh, kind of put the heat on. Now you're calling the cops? Fuck you and fuck Kathy. You're not our fucking neighbor. You're a fucking asshole.
I kind of falsely thought, like during the Obama years, I think I was one of the lefties that is guilty of sort of maybe I was lulled into thinking like, okay, those days are over. Like those days of CEOs being able to behave that way and keep their jobs. So, you know, one thing I want us to be able to discuss is ways that maybe we thought we had kind of made some progress yeah. and we're, we're back to square one in certain areas. Yeah. Well, I was thinking when you said the word blacklist, I mean, the McCarthy era artists and homosexuals yes. uh, were, who were deemed to be un-American yeah. were uh, not able Called to... before the Congress. Yeah. How much have we... And Roy Cohn was right there. Yeah. A gay Trump's favorite. Man. Very closeted, but yes, closeted, gay. <laughs> yeah. Um, what has changed and what hasn't changed? And are we back to that place? I mean, you use the term blacklisted. Is it... Yeah. It's, it's definitely odd, like I said. You know, it's not like... Like, people don't know who I am. Like, I'm not the most famous person, but, you know, I've been on, like, a lot of television shows and have Emmys and a Grammy and, you know, specials and stuff like that. So it's definitely um, sad that it's not like one person doesn't want to hire me. It's this vibe of, like, I call it a whisper campaign. And I think that's kind of what's dividing us. Mm -hmm. Like, the Trumpers, they seem to get away from news and they go on. And by the way, I had to learn all this shit. I didn't know what Reddit was. I didn't know 4chan, 8chan, 16chan, 32chan. I don't know how many chans there are. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't know that there's this whole world that is completely unregulated. And people just think once you're down that rabbit hole, I guess you no longer look at the New York Times or even your local news. And I had mm. to learn about the Sinclair acquisition of many local radio stations where many of your local radio stations, and you know, most people, more Americans just have rabbit ears TV than anything else, right? So, you know, I don't blame my mom who watches the local news and doesn't know it was purchased by Sinclair and they devote five minutes of every broadcast with Boris Epstein or one of Trump's minions yeah. literally does like a five minutes of indoctrination. And, um, you know, when I grew up, there wasn't such a thing as Fox News. And as you guys have seen, it's really gotten powerful. And I knew Andrew Breitbart. I mean, that guy couldn't be dead enough. Fuck that guy. Hmm. That guy used to come, back, come at me when he was uh, alive. And I used to be able to sass back at him. And it was kind of an exchange. Hmm. Well, now it, they're so good at spreading their venom that it does seep into everything. And I'm not against the mainstream media. But the idea that on Good Morning America... My friend George Stephanopoulos was saying Kathy Griffin held up a photo of the president's severed head. Yeah, right. He could have said what may be misconstrued to be or a likeness of, you know. So um, that kind of permeation is something I just think we have to be really hyper aware of. And I know sometimes it seems daunting or, oh, do I really have to learn about all this shit? You do. <laughs> you do. Because it's it just, it just pops up and it's kind of like whack-a-mole and... They've just been, I'm sorry, they're more effective at their message than we are yeah. because their message is so simple. Hate everybody but yourself. Be selfish. Like, yeah. I can't believe when people want to vote for president based on how are you going to improve my life? 
how are you candidate whatever? How are you going to make my life better? Like, when did that shit start? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're supposed to be the president for mm -hmm. all of America. And I think that's such a bizarre way to even look at, mm -hmm. you know, elections. And the other thing I have to get off my chest is elections are every year. They're not every four years or every two years. They are every single year. And often I really believe the down ballot will affect your daily life much more than the presidential. I mean, it's great to get yep. excited about who we want to pick for president and all this stuff. But I want to remind you guys of Kim Davis. That was an elected county supervisor who wouldn't marry the two gay guys. Yeah. She got voted in because most people were probably like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, guess what? It takes about a half hour on the Google machine to look up even judges. Yeah. And, um, you know, every year and then when there's special elections and we, we our team has to treat every election like we did the midterms, yeah. you know, where we finally really showed out. So that's another thing is as. People really think elections are every four years and the president is personally going to make their lives better. Yeah. And the right is so committed and resourced to this. And one, I mean, you said a lot there, but you know, the message CNN tries to inoculate this stuff with is like, um, what is it? Facts matter? Or whatever. Yeah, Jeff Zucker's a fucking idiot. First of all, <laughs> let me tell you about Jeff Zucker. Fuck that guy. This is the guy that gave you Emerald the sitcom, okay? I don't think you should be running an international news organization. He's a fucking pussy. He's scared of Trump. He called me the last year before I got canned for New Year's. He called me and he goes, hey, kid, I'll give you one Trump joke an hour of a four and a half hour live broadcast. I go, that's all everybody's talking about. I yeah. go, first of all, you hired me to, be, to make noise and to make a moment. I go, one Trump joke an hour. And he goes, yeah, you know, so he was saying something about like he was protecting me. And I go, I'm good. And he actually showed mm. up at the platform on Times Square. Mm. And I was like, what are you going to do? Knock me fucking... You're going to knock me into Seacrest Arms or something? What a nightmare. No, but like, I just, I just want to say, like, the days of Edward R. Murrow are over. All right? So, so And you know. even their strategy of, like, facts matter. Yes, facts matter. But again, going back to the point you're making about the First Amendment being weaponized, the problem today with Sinclair Media or Fox is that each side can verify and then confirm whatever reality they want. So, you know, I um, was speaking to some Trump supporters and... How'd that go? It was really... It's a longer story you must for have another pati time. the patience of Job. I'm just curious. I, um... I actually biked from Seattle to New York. Oh, they hate bikes. They like trucks. And yeah, trucks. talking to trucks. They were they were in some levels, in some ways they were very lovely as they espoused their positions. It was very confusing. But um, <laughs> they really believe what they believe. And right. they're like, they think that their reality is reality. So how do we deal with that? I mean, because they, they can confirm. That's what I'm saying. Like, were you able to have the opportunity to ever talk to any of these folks and say, did you really think Hillary Clinton was running a child sex ring in the basement of they a pizza parlor? They really think that. How? I, I, that, they that, don't even have a basement <laughs> at Comet. Remember when the guy showed up with a gun and he was like, oh, I'm here for the basement? And the poor pizza guy's like, we don't even have one. There's no kids being, a, you know. But how do they And think I think it's that? such a fraud on Americans because they don't understand that they're being manipulated by this information. They don't understand that Fox News is not news. They don't understand. I mean, I'm not explaining it for them. I'm not justifying it. But um, the problem I think that we have as progressives wanting to move the country forward is you have this 33% of people who really think 
things that are objectively false and how do you connect with them? Because then... How did they get there? Because like, are you guys aware yeah. of the QAnon theory? Okay, so a lot of Trumpers believe this thing called... I know you're going to think I'm doing a bit. Um, but they believe in something called Q and it's so amorphous because they like change it. Like at first I just said, okay, what's the conspiracy? And originally it was that, wait for it, Donald Trump is the reason you don't see him a lot is there's like secret footage of a lookalike playing golf because he is going town to town. I'm not kidding. And breaking <laughs> up child sex rings, but under the radar. Hold on. And that's right. Then they sort of changed their mind after a while of like redditing and gabbing and HNing. And then they decided that maybe Trump isn't Q. So now they're all about who's Q. And I actually posted one of these psychos on my um, Twitter feed because she is like a walking dead zombie. I mean, she believes it to her core and she's a family doctor. Oh, wow. I know. I don't want to get a pelvic from her. Um, <laughs> So then uh, the latest that I've heard is that uh, QAnon, well, I, I found out I'm on their kill list, so I have to be Ugh. aware of that. And they think that I am on a boat with Hillary Clinton and not dead Jeffrey Epstein wow. and Huma Abedin and that we are, we are um, killing children, you know, on our, our, our child killing boat. And I mean, it goes, it's not like one like, it's like 4,000 likes. Yeah, so I can't believe those folks. I just don't know why. I think four years ago, they just would have been like, that's crazy. And yet somehow now they're yeah. like, I heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> How do you talk to that person? I, I used to not believe that those people really existed, except I went and met them and they really exist. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that solution is. How do you feel about um, our hope for the upcoming presidential election? I think we have to know what we're in for. I think we have to know there's going to be meddling at least from the GRU, if not more. Mm -hmm. um, I also hear a lot of pundits talking about their fear of in-country meddling, like just some, you know, hacker who is bored or just wants to test the system. Um, it's why Mitch McConnell voted against paper ballots, because paper ballots, remember we just always used to bitch and go, it should be on our phones. It's easier to vote for American Idol. No, that was a wrong idea. We were all <laughs> wrong about that. And, um, you know, that's why we really do need paper ballots as backup. And there's a reason Mitch McConnell doesn't even want paper ballots, which we've had forever. Yeah. I personally think that Putin has a picture of him fucking a donkey. But that's because I'm a lady. I am a lady and I am never vulgar. And so uh, I actually she tweet. She didn't say ass. No, thank you. I tweet <laughs> Lindsey Graham once a week and I just go, what is it, girl? A picture of you fucking a donkey? And he's never answered once. Anyway, um, so... So I think that we have to just know going in. They're, I mean, they're caught throwing away. Like, mm -hmm. they have people, like, if you guys saw the Mark Harris hearing, he was a congressman or senator? Uh, Who senator, knows? I think. Congressman. All right. And his, uh, he got caught hiring a dude who's known for literally taking actual ballots from African-American people and throwing them in the garbage. And he fought it, and it was the, how, and they love the fire and brimstone. How dare you? What horror. His own son testified. I think his own son worked for the local AG's office. Don't know, and the son was like, against him, yeah. on the stand, because they had a, a hearing. And he said, yeah, I, I told my dad, don't hire this guy. He's known for literally throwing away ballots from disenfranchised communities. 
So Mark Harris literally burst into tears during the hearing. You got to look this up on YouTube. Then they all magically went into like a secret room. And then Mark Harris came out. And first of all, he talked shit about his own son for a while, which was really embarrassing. And then he said, okay, we are going to have a whole new election and he will not be running this time. So it's terrible. You have to kind of catch them red-handed. So yes, there's going to be voter suppression. Yes, when I talk to young people of color, they they say it so earnestly. You know, I just don't think my vote's going to count. Mm. You have to just encourage them to do it anyway. Um, you know, make sure that they know if there's someone at their lo local precinct who's intimidating them, they have rights. They can call the police. They can call the board of elections call they the board of elections to, there's always an officer at the voting booth who is there to assist them they can fill out an absentee ballot if their name isn't on the uh on the uh list yeah so yeah yeah and also i think it's good that if if you're caucasian like i think it's okay to say hey i'm gonna be honest i've been voting since i was 18 and i've never been asked for my id yeah. i go to the same place they go hi kathy they know my address i sign it's okay to say that because people of color are like, you're kidding. You're fucking kidding. I had to wait in line for eight hours. It's okay to go, okay, I get that. That's yeah. fucked up. How can I help you? So we're all going to have yeah. to come together. It's united we stand, divided we fall. Yeah. United we stand, divided. And no busting. No busting. But if your candidate doesn't win the primary, tough shit. Right. I'm voting for a fucking doorknob. Right. right. <laughs> It's the sunlight that we talked about. I think that's another strategy is if you are not the one who's getting targeted, but you're noticing somebody else's. Do something, say something. Yeah. And I will say, like, for example, if you my, um, I'd my new uh, hobby is busting up ice raids. And it's really easy. First of all, most people don't know. Oh, yeah. And they all know me, too. They're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> they, I swear to God, they're like, oh, not her. And they're like, mm, hi, Miss Griffin. I go, that's right. It's Miss Griffin. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you just start filming. And most undocumented folks don't know. It doesn't matter if you have something from the Homeland Security Department. You have to have, I believe, is it a court order signed by a judge? Yep. Okay. They don't have that. Okay? They didn't take the time to go get one from the judge. So, or they don't have the basis to get one signed. They don't have the basis to get one. Exactly. And there's also videos of folks driving undocumented folks to, you know, uh, to, I guess, whatever immigration office they're signed, you know, still hoping the docket will come through or whatever. So it's important to know something as simple as that. Like you can actually say to the officer, no, you, you're not getting in my car. I'm not getting out. I mean, I will say it will help if you can have a lawyer on speaker. Um, maybe you'd like to give out your home number. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. That's terrible. But, you know, I'm stuff very Googleable. <laughs> but, you know, things like that, you're going to start to see it. Yeah. Like I didn't think there'd be a fucking ice raid in like Hollywood. And then I heard about one and I was like, let's go. And you start filming and they're fucking pussies. They leave. They know they don't have the right paperwork. And especially if you say, do you have a judge signed court mm -hmm. order? And they go, we have something from Homeland Security. And I go, I have two Emmys. Look, the point <laughs> is, use whatever works for you. But film it and put it online. Have a good laugh, everybody. <laughs> Thank Woo! you, Yana. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. That was the irrepressible Kathy Griffin talking to Yetta Kurland. Our podcasts are produced by Megan Whitman and me, Eric Winnick. Our editor is Matt Temkin. Our music was written and performed by Peril Wolf. The voice of Zabars is Leah Rosensweet. 
This is the last episode of Season 3 of 76 West, and we appreciate your tuning in. Please give us a rating and review on iTunes, and if you can, share this episode with your friends. If you're just joining us, welcome, and be sure to subscribe for future episodes. See you in the spring for Season 4. Season 4.